welcome to Should I Just Quit My Job? I'm your host, Maricela Herrera, and thank you for being here. You are in for a treat today. I'm going to keep this super short because the episode is a long one, but you're going to hear from Don Kelly, who is a former PR exec turned entrepreneur, but most of the entrepreneurs I've had on the show become consultants or, you know, do their own business. It's mostly like an online thing. Dawn is one of those entrepreneurs that actually has a storefront. She is has a physical, actually two physical locations. It's the Nourish Spot, so it's juices and healthy organic food, which she started to bring it to her community. And I wanted to share the story of an entrepreneur who radically changed their life, who had to deal with rebuilding her confidence because that change was imposed upon her, not made as a choice by her. She, um, her job was eliminated before she became an entrepreneur. And at that point, she was in her 50s. So this is someone who has done so much great stuff at a point in your life where you might be questioning, like, what's next from here? I love this conversation so much. I think it's so powerful. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. So let's get to it. And I'll see you next time. Bye. What would you like our listeners to know about? Well... I am first a daughter. I am a sister. I am a mother. Uh, and I am a former corporateer. And now I am an entrepreneur. And I'm an overachiever. <laughs> I had no doubt about that one. What are some of the things you care about? I care about my family, um, especially my mother and my two children, Owen and Jade. I care about the world at large, care about Black people and how we're treated in this country. I care about education and I care about healthy, healthy eating and wellness. I love that because a lot of the things that you said you cared about, and I knew this was going to be the case, are things that then is what you do now. It is what has brought you to the Nourish Spot and to the yes. work you're doing. So first off, actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Nourish Spot so that we, we can go from there and then work okay. our way back. Well, the Nourish Spot is a fresh and healthy uh, wellness bar, if you will. Uh, we provide our customers, who we affectionately call nourishers, the opportunity to customize uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, nuts, butters, seeds, and herbs, and all kind of proteins, into salads and smoothies and cold-pressed juices, wraps. We offer protein waffles, and we offer Greek yogurt parfaits, tasty treats. We were established in a neighborhood where my family enjoys an 81, almost 82-year history. I actually bought the house that my grandfather bought um, when he returned home from World War II. Wow. And he raised my mom in this home. I, because it was the first single-family home in our family, 
I don't know. I always had some kind of, you know, predilection for the for the, for the space. I always told myself when I was a youngster that I was going to buy the house. And so when I got, you know, two nickels past the quarter, <laughs> I purchased my grandfather's house and remodeled it and raised my two children here. And so I've lived in this community forever and I traveled to this community forever, you know, since uh, being a youngster. And I know that Southeast Jamaica, Queens is a community that's beset by a lot of challenges. Um, we're an urban community, um, mostly made up of black and brown people. We have some new immigrant populations coming into the community. But for the most part, we don't have a lot of access to healthy fruits and vegetables. We have subpar supermarkets on every corner. Uh, there are bodegas. Now, don't let me, don't, don't, I don't want to make anybody think that I hate the bodega because I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, no New Yorker yes, can hate so the bodega. Bodegas have their purpose, right? Um, however, processed food is not helping anyone uh, live longer, more vital lives. And so uh, I know we're going to talk about this, but when I left my corporate job, um, I was uh, overweight and being threatened by a doctor with a lot of medicine. And and I didn't want to take any pharmaceutical drugs. So I decided to change my diet. And so, you know, when I wanted to have a salad or a smoothie, I couldn't find mm -hmm. it in my neighborhood. I had to travel outside of my neighborhood to get it. And so one day, you know, I just decided after praying that I was going to take the plunge and establish my own small business. And the Nourish Spot was born. And thankfully, we're still here. We're still here and you're doing really cool things. Yes. We're at the precipice of actually expanding into Brooklyn. And so I'm really proud of what me and my daughter, Jade, who is my co-owner. Um, she's kind of like the battery in my back. What we've really achieved up to this moment. Yeah, I, I love that you brought in your daughter, Jade, because I think when I said, you know, the things that you are passionate about, the things that you care about and how they all come together with the Nourish Spot, to me was so, it was so clear, right? You care about Black people and um, communities of color. So you're serving them, bringing them nutrition, which you said you cared about healthy eating, you cared about your family first and foremost as a family-owned yes. business. You're one of the people who actually really understood like these are the things that I care about and brought them together into what you're yes. doing now and to me that's like as someone who's trying to figure that out it's 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 thank wonderful it's thank wonderful you very much see. I would tell you that one of the things uh, one of the things that actually propelled me forward um, I told you was one the doctor telling me that I was about to be placed on medicine but the other thing is um, one of the last projects that I was engaged in at my former employer was a survey about the financial behaviors of African-Americans. Interesting. And one of the things that we learned from that survey was that generational wealth was not something that African-Americans uh, could really lean on like other populations in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so that also propelled me um, because I was a single mom, a divorcee, raising my own children. And 
you know, I wanted to, I wanted to make the survey wrong. You know, I wanted to prove it wrong. And I wanted to create something, a generational wealth legacy that I could leave behind uh, to my son and my daughter. And, you know, we're well on our way with that. The generational wealth thing is massive. I actually, I love that you brought that up. I spoke at a panel last year around Latina Equal Pay Day. And Latinas are uh, some yes, also yes. in the same boat. The biggest issue we have is the fact of generational yes. wealth. And we are already starting from a point. We're behind of, the eight ball. Yes. In behind. We're, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're behind, behind the, the eight ball. ball. You know, you know, it's a known fact that the racial wealth gap is huge. We don't live in a fair world. You know, I just I just need to say that we don't live yeah. in a fair world. So we're always yeah. playing catch up. Right. And I was blessed. Right. I graduated from Howard University. You know, I've worked my whole life. I started working when I was like 13 years old. I started as a um, as a babysitter. Then I went working at the grocery store. Um, and I'm not going to say I had to work. Right. But, you know, I like to have my own money. I'm the oldest. I'm the eldest in my family. So I, I'm one of those kids. I was one of those kids that didn't like to hear no. Right. So I always like to have my own money in my pocket. And then when I went away to college, I worked my way through college because um, I was the first one in my family to go away to school. Um, my mother did graduate from NYU, uh, but she's, she's from the Bronx. She was raised in Queens and she went back to college when she had three children. Okay. So, you know, bravo to her. Right. And when she was in college, I was also in college in Washington, DC. So she didn't have a lot of money because her and my father had also got divorced. And so, you know, I, as an eldest, I didn't call home a lot to ask my mom for money because she was raising my brother and my sister. And I, I never wanted to feel like a burden to anyone. And so, uh, I worked all through college. In fact, I got a job right before I graduated from school working for AARP in Washington, D.C. And that's where I cut my teeth on learning how to do media relations and public relations, right? And that has been key to me with the Nourish Spot, right? Leveraging those skills mm -hmm. to promote the work that we are doing. And so I worked at AARP for a really long time in D.C., and then I decided to come back home to New York because I wanted to be uh, Marlo Thomas. I don't know if you remember that show, That Girl, where Marlo Thomas was throwing her. Well, there's a show called, it was That Girl. And Marlo Thomas was a uh, media executive. Well, she was trying to be a media executive because that was back in the 60s <laughs> and 70s and women were still trying to get a job back then. All women, okay? Right. And so I came back home that's how I got into my grandfather's house. He was living alone in his home. And I asked him, could we, my children and I come to live with him? So um, I came home, we took over the, the second floor of the house and I started paying pretty much most of the bills in the house. And before he passed, I, I bought it, right? Love that. I worked at York College uh, in Jamaica, Queens for a long time as a PR executive. And then I got this job at Prudential Financial where I uh, worked my way up from manager all the way to department vice president um, over a 15 year, a 15 year time frame. It was a wonderful job, 
month, Maricela, like a wonderful job. I got to use all my skills as a PR and media relations executive. I got to lead people. I got to travel all over the world. Um, in fact, I'm an award-winning PR and media executive. I also, you know, enjoyed mentoring others. So that was when I really learned how to coach and lead others um, to achieve their dreams. I used to always say that I was a, a, a chief dream releaser, right? I love that. Because um, people would come to me because I know I was an I was an anomaly, right? Here I was, a young black girl from New York City that kind of had defied the odds and made it to a level six at Prudential, which was kind of unheard of at that time. And I'm I'm a very authentic person. Like what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't the typical corporate employee. Um, I wore my heart on my sleeve and I worked, you know. I've worked harder than than anybody because, you know, as an African-American, I was always taught that you got to be twice as good as anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I lived by that. Being a self-starter and showing initiative is also really, really important to me. And so when I lost my job, well, I didn't lose it. When they eliminated my job, because I'm going to say it correctly, um, when they eliminated my job, I was grief stricken because I had never in my life lost anything. <laughs> I didn't even mention this, but I got skipped in the third grade. I never went to the fourth grade. I went from third to the fifth grade, right? I started school when I was young. So I went to college when I was 16 years old. Okay. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, Very I young. was. And so having my job eliminated was a blow to me, to my psyche. I love that you you said you you grieve because I think and I've been exploring this massively through this podcast is we all grieve when we're going through a certain change yes. like this. And you had been there for fifteen, yeah, almost years. sixteen. I was like months away from my sixteenth anniversary. I I was so angry with them. I'm like, could I could I have just got to my sixteenth anniversary? What drew you to PR? Actually, oh, I'm gonna go all well, the way you know, back. I'm so glad you asked me that. So I love. From a kid, I love to persuade others. You know, I'm the eldest, so I used to always have to persuade my brother and sister into stuff. I love to write. Um, I love to be around people. And I also wanted to travel on somebody else's dime. When I graduated from college, from Howard University, I was already working at AARP. And I had dropped out for a little while, right? Because it got hard, right? Trying to work and go to school and pay for an apartment and everything. And so I dropped out for a little while and I was working for AARP and they offered a tuition reimbursement program. And so, mm. you know, I'm not a quitter, right? I'm just not a quitter. And I used to like talk to myself all the time about, you came down here to go to college and, you know, you didn't finish and, you know, you're a failure and you need to, you know, get back, get back on the wagon and finish. And so I applied for the tuition reimbursement program at AARP. They gave it to me and I finished my last three or four classes because I didn't even have that many. I only had like three or four classes to finish. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. I will tell you, by the time I was doing my last two classes, I was pregnant. I was married and pregnant my daughter, uh, my youngest child. And to this day, uh, I credit the fact that 
my daughter and my son, they could both swim, right? They're like swimmers. Because one of the classes that I had to finish at Howard was a swimming class. Can you believe that? I, <laughs> I had to... I had to finish a swimming class and I had to retake a, a biology course. So my daughter came out one of the most brilliant people ever. Okay. Like she's been an A student forever and she could swim like a fish. <laughs> and so I finished college, right? I finished, I got my BA and then I started getting promoted at, um, at AARP and I took this Myers-Briggs test. And, you know, it's some kind of like psychosocial test. You know, they ask you all these crazy questions. Well, and when it finished, I I came out with, uh, I was an ENTJ or something like that. But back then, mm -hmm. back then, it also came with a list of vocations that you might sell in. Okay. I looked at that list and, you know, at that time, I think there was a teacher on there and I've always wanted to be a teacher, but I had student loans to pay. And they, they've never paid teachers what they deserve in America. And I think there was like an attorney, but, you know, I had already worked enough and gone to school enough. I wasn't willing to go back to school at that time. I saw this thing on the list and it said public relations practitioner. And I was like, what's that? Let me learn about that. And it had all of the things that I like to do already because one day I was home. I want to tell you this story real quick. One day I was home and, you know, I was tired of being a secretary because that's the job that I had at ARP. You know, I was a glorified assistant. I had a big, big job, like great job. We were doing advocacy work all over, um, but I knew there was more. I had more to give, right? And so that's why I took that Mars Briggs test. So I started researching what uh, a PR person was and I'm like, oh, I can do all those things. And then one day I was laying home saying, you know, God, I, you know, I need more money to take care of my kids. You know, I need to figure this thing out. And something said to me, a small voice said to me, write down the things you want, you know, write down the things, write down mm -hmm. the things you do well at. Right. And, you know, and don't censor yourself. Right. Don't censor yourself. Just just write them down. You don't have to show it to nobody. Right. You just need to be clear. Right. And so that's what I wrote down. I wrote down that. I enjoyed uh, writing. I enjoyed persuading people that I wanted to travel the world on somebody else's dime, that I was good with people. You know, I, I, I knew how to uh, network. I was really good at networking. And so when I went back to work and I was reading the Myers-Briggs test, it all aligned, right? Everything aligned. Yeah. And so I started getting books about how to do PR. And then I took some classes at the American Management Association. I think that's what it was called back then. Um, and got AARP to pay for it. And then I started putting my hand up and asking for tasks in my current job that would allow me to use the new skills that I was learning. And one day, one day on the internal posting board, a job came up for assistant media liaison. Now, in that company, I, I worked at ARP for like almost eight years. Um, I had wonderful relationships that I had curated over the years. And so I traded on those relationships. I went to people and said, look, I'm applying for this job. Um, I need your vote of confidence, right? I need, if somebody comes from the company and asks you, do you think I could do this job? I need you to tell them yes, right? 
And people did that for me. And so I got promoted finally into an assistant media liaison position. And that is really what catapulted me to stay in PR. I learned, I joined organizations like the National Association of Black Journalists, the Black Public Relations Society of America. And I sought out mentors like Dorothy Gilliam of the Washington Post and Ophelia Dukes, uh, who's now passed away. But he was one of the first PR persons in the White House. And I had him, I had him as a mentor. So um, these people trained me. And then one of my former bosses at AARP and then at Prudential, Bob DiFilippo, they trained me on how to be a really great PR person. That's fascinating. I mean, I I love this story. And I think I'm curious, when you were at AARP and hadn't finished college yet, you, you said you felt like a failure, like you let this go. Did any of those feelings come back of like, uncompletion I don't even know if that's a word when your role was eliminated oh yeah I'm triggered all the time oh my gosh okay so yeah you know in 2015 when this guy told me that he was eliminating my job first I had to get over my disbelief because I would tell you I was the top performer at that company I, I still got my performance evaluations to prove it okay Sometimes I, you know, beat myself up for not suing the company, right? But I guess I was mm-hmm. I was in such such a state of shock that that was, yeah. you know, far away from my mind. We had a, a rating level from one to five, and I was always a five, right? I was always getting the top salary increases and things of that nature. So it was a it was a real shock to me. But yes, it did trigger those feelings of incompletion. Um, it also, I also thought like everybody in my family and, and I'm going to say these, these, these were irrational thoughts. Okay. But I thought now everybody was laughing at me. Like, you know, you didn't belong there in the first place. You know, you, you, you know, you got lucky, even though I know I worked, you know, harder than harder than hard, right. To get where I was, I, I cared yeah. about what I did and I, I just wanted to excel and not for no one else. See, that's the thing, right? It was something in me that I I just needed to excel and I just needed to be the best. And um, I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, you've done well, you know? And then also I had two kids that were looking up to me, right? And I wanted to be a great example for them. So I I would have to like compartmentalize, right? I would have to put those feelings over here and then figure out my next steps over here. Um, And that's not always easy. You know, sometimes, like even today, sometimes I just take to my bed. (laughs) Sleep is, you know, rest is revolutionary, okay? So, yeah, so whenever things get too big for me to handle, um, I just go to bed, you know, I pray and then I go to sleep. And when I wake up, usually I feel much better. It's so interesting how our brain works and how I, I, I'm fascinated by the human mind. Just because on the one hand, you're saying I have all of these performance reviews to prove that I was doing a really good job. Yes. And you had mentors and you had people who believed in you. And you also were doing this for yourself, like you were overachieving for yourself. And yet mm-hmm. the thing in your mind was people are laughing. Yes. 
people are thinking I don't belong there. Like that is so against all the other things that you knew to be true. But that's how we, that's how our mind yes. works. Like, we're the first ones to sabotage. Exactly. Ourselves, I think. You are limited by your beliefs. I believe that. You are. And if you, if you think you're not good enough, you're not good enough. So we have to work. You have to encourage yourself and we have to work against those feelings each and every day. And I'm going to tell you that I still suffer from that sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, if things don't go right, right, um, or the way I think that they should go, because oftentimes mm -hmm. they go just the way they're supposed to go, right? Because everything happens for a reason. I'm convinced now. But when things don't go right, I'm often like, see, you messed up. And this is, you know, um, but tomorrow is another day and life gets better every single day. And you have to forgive yourself and move on. Right. And then you have to dream big. That's the other thing. I think that we're all guilty of not dreaming big enough. So you think? Oh, yeah. 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 I think I think I am for sure. I think I limit my, my the opportunities and your chances. Yes. Because I think like, oh, who am I to do yes. that? But. Yes. But let me let me tell you something. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. But but my new answer is who are you not to do that? Ooh, that's my new answer. Like, why not me? Okay. So that's what I say to myself when you when that wow. other thing gets on my shoulder, it's like, you don't belong imposter mm -hmm. syndrome. When imposter syndrome is like slapping me, like beating me in my back, right? I often will go stand in the mirror and say, Why not me? Like, why not me? You know, I I've done this. Like I remind myself of all the uh, achievements and accomplishments um that I've had over the years. And I tell myself, why not me? Why not me? Until I'm tired and I fall asleep. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have to start doing yes, that. Yes, you have to. You oh. have to. Because it, it's just that simple. Why not you? If everybody else can achieve their dreams and everybody else can get what they want, why shouldn't you be able to, too? Especially if you're willing to put in the labor and the work and the time and effort. And listen, I put more time and effort than most people. I know I do. Oftentimes when, like I said, when the imposter syndrome starts to creep up on my shoulder, I scream back at it. Why not me? Yeah, I like it. Your role is eliminated. You're having all of these thoughts, right? And you're grieving because, again, we go back. It is a process of grief. And what I've learned is grief is not linear. No. All is happening at the same yes. time. How are you able to move through that to figure out what was next? Well. There's, there's really two ways. So one, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I sat in that pity party for a minute. <laughs> I did. I did. I sat in it for a minute. I wouldn't talk to people. You know, people would call my phone. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't receive any visitors. I stayed in my bed. I didn't eat. Um, I couldn't even watch TV. And I, you know, I, I love to watch the news. As a PR person, I love to watch the news. But I, I just laid in my bed and one day my then 26 year old daughter, she's now 33. She came into my room. She knocked on my door and she said, I'm going to say something to you that you're not going to like, but I don't care. And I said to her, Go slow, because you know who your mama is. <laughs> and she said, 
could you find my mother? Because my mother is a fighter. And I don't know who you are. And I would tell you, I would tell you that I wanted to say a few choice words to her. I did. Because now, instead of grief, I was feeling embarrassment, right? Because here's somebody I birthed challenging me about my behavior. But I would tell you that it was just the pride I needed. Because I got out the bed that day. And I looked in the mirror. And I would tell you, before that day, I would never look in a mirror. I looked in the mirror, and it was almost like the mirror started talking to me. And the mirror said, you know you're free? I know you never felt free before. But you're free. And you can do whatever your heart wants you to. Fly. Dream. I went and got in the shower. Because I won't tell you, I probably stunk a little bit. (laughs) I went and got in the shower. Wash my hair. And I know I didn't have short hair like this. I used to wear, you know, I was a corporate tee. I had a bob, you know, I was I was cute. Um I washed my hair and then I came outside of into my room and I started to pray. I'm a Christian and I believe in God. Because I had lost my way. I was so mired in my pity that I couldn't think straight. And I started to pray and I asked God, like, tell me what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I have the willpower to go back and work in corporate America and have somebody with the power to just snatch my livelihood away. I was 52 years old. And again, you know, even though I knew I was expert at what I did, when somebody eliminates your job, it kind of unsettles you and make you feel like you don't really know what you're doing, right? And so I was questioning my ability and questioning my, my expertise, right? And so... I did go on one job. Well, the first thing I did was start traveling because, you know, I had a little severance money, you know, and I wasn't even thinking about this, right? I wasn't even thinking the fact that right. I had saved money, you know, I had my severance package. So I had a little money. I wasn't broke, right? But, you know, I was so mired in grief that I wasn't paying attention to the big picture, right? Mm-hmm. And so I started traveling a little bit to get my head straight, right? So my daughter and I, we like went to all these far flung lands, you know where I could smile a little bit, you know? Uh, I said I was chasing the sun, right? That's what I told her I was chasing. And so we went to places, like the first place I went, I think was to Dubai. I had never been to Dubai before. 
Now I went to Dubai and we, my daughter and I were standing, uh, they had like a world's fair and I found myself standing someplace and I just bust out crying. Right. And I just was like, okay, there's more to life. Like there's more to life. Like I'm, I'm going to seize the day. Like I'm going to seize the day and I'm going to run after my dreams and something is going to give. And so when I came back, when we came back from traveling a little bit, um, I went on a job interview. One. <laughs> and it was a great job paying me the same amount of money that I was making at the former company, um, managing about the same team. But I did not enjoy the process. I had to see like five or six people, right? And the sixth mm -hmm. person aggravated me so much, Maricela, that I walked out of the job interview. Just walked out. Walked out. So but, we went from not showering to walking out of interviews. <laughs> yes. And listen, this is the truth. If I'm lying, I'm flying. This is the absolute truth. I love it. Though. I love it Because so I told God right then and there, I'm like, I, I'm not ready for this. Like, I, I, I can't do this again, okay? And when I got outside on 6th Avenue, Avenue of Americas, because I know exactly where I was, I got outside and I said, Lord, you take care of babies and fools, and I'm no baby. So it's in your hands now. Lead me, guide me. And I, I came home. When I got home that day, I'm sitting on my bed mm -hmm. and I'm watching the news. And the, the newscast said, next up, Styles P opens juice bar in Westchester. This is the honest to God truth. I I know Styles P and I've told him this story. Okay. And so I'm looking at it like I'm looking at it because I told you I was on my own health journey. The doctor was telling me you, mm -hmm. you, you better fix it or you're going to be on all these medicine. And so I'm looking at it like what? Wait, juice bar? Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could establish my own juice bar. But I'm like, where? Where could I do it? And I'm going to tell you, call me crazy, but I heard this little voice say, go outside on God Brewer, which is near my house, okay? And look up. Look up. And I, I don't know if you know about Christian faith, but they always say, look up to Jesus or look up to God, right? So I wake my daughter up. She was a flight attendant at that time. And I wake her up because I was feeling a little crazy. Like, you know, maybe I was two steps from a, from a straight jacket. Mm -hmm. I said, can you come outside? Because the little voice told me, she's like, what? I'm like, come outside. And so we go outside. We walk around the corner. And I look up. I first look to the left and I don't see anything. And I would tell you right then and there. I wanted to run in the middle of the street and let a bus take me out. I'm going to tell you, because I really thought I was losing my ever-loving mind, okay? But again, my daughter, the voice of reason, she said, you brought me out here. She started screaming. You brought me out here, right? You got to look left or right. She didn't know what I was looking for, but she said, you know, I told her to look up. So I kind of bowed my head again, and I said a little prayer. And I asked God not to make me look like a fool in front of my child. Like I, I could manage everything else, but now, now I'm wrestling with looking like a fool in front of my kid. Okay. And I turn my head to the right 
and I kid you not, I looked up and what I saw was an awning on a, like a store closed. Like, you know, it wasn't like nothing was in it. It was just, mm -hmm. a, you know, you know, in New York, we have all these places where there's nothing in them. Right. And, and yep. the awning said D K upholstery. You're kidding me. I have, I have the picture. I can show you the picture. Okay. It said DK upholstery. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Look, 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 look. The Nary spot is in that uh -huh. building, Maricela. And we've been in there now because I, I got the building from the, from the landlord in 2016. So we've been in that building now almost uh, in March. It'll make it eight years that we've been in the building. Um, well, a little bit, almost nine years that we've been in the building. And I will tell you this, I didn't get the upholstery part, right? I didn't get that. I got the DK because that's my name. Right, the DK. Right. That's what I, that's what I understood. Right. I, I got that. <laughs> but after we had been open for a year, uh, in past years during the Christmas week, we usually like shut down, right? You know, I give my staff the time off. I take some time. And the first year I was sitting in the store, everybody had left and I was getting ready to close up for the week. And I, you know, I was thanking God. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm an entrepreneur. Like I actually made a store run for a whole year. Like, oh my God, this is crazy, right? And here comes that little voice again. And it said, do you know what upholstery means? And I was like, oh, like, why are we here again? First of all, like, why am I hearing this voice again? Okay. And then I'm like, well, Upholstery means uh, when you make over, like furniture, when you, you make it over. And then I was like, oh, my God. That awning told my whole life. The first day I see it, it was Dawn Kelly made over. Wow. And my life is so different than it was. I can imagine. I'm, I'm the captain of my own ship, okay? As, as most entrepreneurs say, I, I eat what I kill, okay? So I have to, I, I, I have to um, go after every single thing that I want to happen for the Nourish Spot, right? I have to exude courage. I have to have thick skin. I have to um, speak up and ask for, the, for what I want. And the most important thing is I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. I had to go out and learn about a profit statement and a balance sheet, a profit and loss statement, excuse me, and a balance sheet and cash flow. Like I had to go learn about that because I didn't have to know about that in any of my previous jobs, right? And so right. there were so many, like the hurdle between wanting to be an entrepreneur and then actually being one was still long and, you know, and, and vast. And so I had to go out and learn a lot of stuff. And I'm still learning. Like, I'm not perfect at what, what I'm doing. But um, I just don't give up. I just keep trying. I'm curious about a few things. Because you came from very large organizations. With that comes so many things, right? Bureaucracy, like things are very established and processes are very clear. And then you're coming from that to this, like, thing that you're conceptualizing from beginning to end how were you able to like 
get out of this of this world and embrace this new way of working? I would tell you honestly, I just liken it to raising a child, having a baby, right? Oh, yeah. The nourish spot is my third child, and so you know nobody prepares you to be a mommy either. That's pretty much how I treat it. I treat it like it's my youngest kid. First and foremost, I knew I didn't really know how to to run it, so I sought training. Right. I went to the QEDC. Uh, they had a business fundamentals class, so I invested my money to take these classes to give me like the one on one, the really basics of running a business. Um, but once I finished that class, I realized how much more I really didn't know, right? And I, it almost made me scared. Like, what the hell did you think you're doing, you know, jumping into this thing? You you don't have no skills with this, right? So then after that, I took another class. Enterprise has a course called uh, Streetwise MBA. I took that class and, you know, I learned a little bit more about how to do a business. But now I'm really like, I'm I'm a I'ma do this, right? I'ma do this and I'm I'ma make this business run. Um and COVID hit. Oof. Yeah. Okay. And so um because we had to pivot from people being able to walk in and we were just doing curbside service, you know, I had a little bit more time on my hands, right? So I then um, applied for and enrolled in the Goldman Sachs 10K SB program. And I would tell you, I was scared to death. Like, because I had almost quit the first program, the Interise program. Because, you know, like I said, I was a seasoned woman. And I was like, you know, in my 50s, my late 50s. And I'm like, what are you doing? You can't, you can't learn this stuff. Like, you should have learned this when you was in college. Like, it's too hard, too challenging. And again, these are things I was telling myself. Nobody was telling me that, okay? Yeah. But Beyonce says, a winner doesn't quit on themselves. And I kept hearing her in my ear. And so I stuck with that class, the Streetwise MBA class, and I graduated. And real quick, when I was working at Prudential, I was first introduced to the Goldman Sachs program because we went to a dinner. I, I don't want to lose this, but I believe God gives us all breadcrumbs along the way. If you pay attention, yeah. if you pay attention, if you do a little reflection and you look back, God is showing you the little steps along the way, right? But you don't really know until you get there, okay? And so I, we had went to a dinner at Prudential where they were talking about Goldman Sachs 10,000 uh, small businesses for women outside the United States. I was intrigued by that program, okay? And I was like, wow, I wish Prudential had a program like that. I would love to, you know, publicize that program. Well, here I am 100 years later, and now I'm applying for 10,000 small businesses as an entrepreneur. Um, I was scared to death that they weren't going to choose me, right? But they did. They did. It was the most challenging program uh, that I've been in because uh, they really make you work. I graduated with a growth plan, right? And... The growth plan is actually, it's like a journal, I say, business plan, your hopes and dreams for your brand and for your business. And so I graduated from that program while I was still pushing my business, right? And working in my business. Mm -hmm. Coupled with that, my daughter's a chef by trade. She graduated from Johnson and Wales University. And so 
the business started to catch on, right? COVID was really good for the business, right? Because every known, every known doctor and medical professional was telling people, you better eat healthy. You better get some ginger in your system. You better eat some pineapples, right? You better eat a balanced diet. Yep. Stop eating that processed food. So that helped the nourish spot, right? It helped it catch on, right? But you had a storefront, yes, right? Yes, but that doesn't mean anything in the community where people are used to eating processed food. They're used to eating, That's right? That it means true. nothing. So in addition to me publicizing the store, and again, that was another struggle because I had been trained to publicize everybody else's stuff, right? So when it was, when it was time for me to tell the media about my own business, I, I was trembling in my boots. You know, nobody wants to hear from you talking about yourself. Nobody wants to uh, hear about what you're doing. You're, you're a PR person and you're supposed to promote other people's businesses. So I had to talk myself into promoting my business because if not me, who, right? If not me, who? And so um, how I started that little piece is I just reached out to a community reporter that I had known. Remember, I was a PR executive forever. I knew all, I knew everybody in the media. So I reached out to a couple of friends that were doing some community work and I pitched them. Like, would you be interested? Like very timidly, but you think you'd be interested? And they were like, hell yeah. Like, that's a story. Okay. And so I started getting coverage, right, about what I was doing in the community, coupled with the fact that COVID was, was hitting us. Right. And then um, I needed to hire staff. Right. Because it was just really me and another person, another guy that I hired. And so because my daughter had worked, had, you know, been in, been a chef, she, at her school, she was a resident assistant. She worked with students, right? She was like, I know how to, I know how to get us staff. She was like, I'm gonna work with all the area high schools and nonprofits, and I'm gonna get us some culinary and hospitality interns. And sure enough, that's when we started in 2018, 2019, we started our, um, our internship program. We pretty much created our own talent pipeline, okay? Because we would get these high school and college students that wanted to be chefs or wanted to work in food service. They would come and work with us for six months, like six to eight weeks. Their nonprofit or their high school would pay them. So, you know, it, it didn't hit my bottom line. And I got to train them, right, on hospitality, culinary, um, customer service. Those, those students that said, oh, Miss Kelly, we love to work here. We hired them. And we paid them a fair wage. I still have a, a couple of students that started with me at high school that work for me right now. And so through learning and applying, you know, you, you learn theory, right? But I, because I was in the store, I was able to apply the theory immediately to the business. That's how, you know, I got to push Nourish forward. I love that. I do have a question, though, about the fear. Because you did mention there were points when you were like learning in these courses and you were like, I'm too old to do this. Funnily enough, like that's something I've been, I've been doing like recently as I'm thinking of what I want to do next. I'm like, I'm too old to go into it. No. I don't know if it's fear or if it's just society. It's all or of that. What? Like, how did you get out of your head? It's all of that. It's fear. It's society telling you, you know, because nobody like the old lady, you know, youth, you know, youth mm -hmm. is celebrated in America, right? So I just said, like, what else am I going to do? Just whittle away and die? <laughs> like, you know, what else am I going to do? Like, like, for real, like, I owe myself better. Like, 
the yeah. you know, the hell with what the world thinks. And I'm going to say it that way. I owe myself better, right? And so why not learn more? One thing I learned in at AARP, so, you know, I learned something from all of yeah, my companies. True. Um, <laughs> at AARP, I learned this. Learning is a lifelong journey. And one thing about learning, it keeps you from dementia, okay? As long as you keep learning, and like your, your brain doesn't a trophy, right? There's a saying, you lose what you don't use, right? And so I challenge mm-hmm. myself to keep this brain percolating by going and taking these classes. And then I would say, when I got into some of these classes, I mo- most of the time I was the oldest person in the room, right? Most of the time. But the people weren't that much younger than me, right? We had a range of ages. Yes. You know, if you if you have a good sense of humor, right, and you have a great background, I got a great background. People like That's people true. like to be around me, right? And so I forged great relationships. So one thing I would say is you got to get around people that are winners. You got to get around people that will encourage you. My my sister used to tell me this when I was younger, so I'm gonna use this. My sister used to tell me you better put an H on your back and handle that. Okay. And so I just put an H on my back and I handled it, right? I told myself, you deserve what you want. If you're not going to shrivel up and die, you deserve to go after the things you want. And I just encourage myself, Maricela. Like, sometimes you just have to encourage yourself. And then you got to find people that are willing to um, encourage you. And it's not always the people that you're accustomed to. Sometimes it's people that you just meet. Um, you have to get in communities of other entrepreneurs because that's the other thing that helped me, right? I, I got into all these communities with all these entrepreneurs and realized that I wasn't the only one out here just trying my best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed that. I needed other people to say, yeah. oh, I'm going through this. And I'm like, oh my God, you're going through that too, right? So that validated me and it validated my experience. And you need that. You need that. And then I would say one more thing. Um, And I can't wait till my daughter hears this when you finish this. But she says this now. She says to be an entrepreneur, sometimes you got to be a little delusional. (laughs) You got to be a little delusional about your dreams. Okay. Because if you stay in the real time and you deal with the real world, you won't. You won't do things because the world always is telling you no, especially you, especially me, always yeah. telling us no what we can't do. So sometimes you just got to, you know, be a little delusional, right? And believe that you deserve more and that you can do more and that the world is your oyster and then you got to get after it. And so honestly, darling, that's what I do. I love that. I love that so much. And I love that you said, you know, when you were, you were, kind of using your PR skills you had to get yourself to do it for you I did. and that and it's a very big mind it shift is. right like because you're 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 so used to doing things for other people yes yes and and that's the story of my life period I've always because as the oldest I was doing things for my little brother and my little sister I was you know doing things for my mom I was doing things for my friends right I've always been kind of like a giver like I you know, mentoring yeah. others, right? I'm all I've always been that person. You know, I've decided to take a little time and focus on me, right? And and that's okay. Focus on yourself. Make yourself happy. 
nobody can make you as happy as you can make yourself. Like, I am so proud of myself. Like, I can't tell you, like, even when days are challenging, I still have to say, yeah, look what you did. Like, look what you did. You did that, right? And look who's on all the social yes. media of the U.S. Yes. Small Business Administration today. Like, yes, huh. yes, right? And it's, 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 it's because of hard work. It's because of perseverance. It's because of never giving up on myself. And I had every opportunity to do that, especially during COVID, right? I had every opportunity to say, eh, I tried. I'm done, right? But thank God that I didn't because now the Nourish Spot has a, has a space at the U.S. Open. That is so exciting. <laughs> like, that is amazing. And can I tell you that we are the first Black-owned business from Jamaica, Queens, to ever be at the U.S. Open. The same thing last year we were at City Field. We were the first Black-owned business from Jamaica, Queens, in City Field. And then one more, the first ever stadium that we were in. Again, God gives you those breadcrumbs along the way. I used to take the Long Island Railroad from Jamaica, Queens to Newark, New Jersey, right? I would get off at Penn mm -hmm. Station and catch the New Jersey Transit. And every day I was on the Long Island Railroad, we used to pass this big edifice, right? And it was like old and it looked like some, you know, it looked like where the chariots, like where <laughs> it looked like some big Roman Colosseum where the chariots used to play, right? And I used to be like, because I had never been there, right? So far as hell. Yeah. And I, I was like, what is that? I was like, I, one day I need to go past there. I need to go see what that is. Because I, I didn't know what it was. And I'm going to be honest. I didn't know what it was. But, you know, I just, it, I, it was big. And would you right. believe Dude. in 2022, when New York City opened, like, and they did those concerts, they did those concerts mm -hmm. to open the city back saying that we were over, you know, we were over COVID. We were invited to be a vendor at the, Forest Hill Stadium. Maricela, when I walked into that stadium with my daughter and I realized that was the exact edifice that I had been watching on the train every day, I lost it. I, I lost it because I was like, like, you can't make this stuff up. Right? Like, yeah. How is it that I, 15 years, I was going back and forth on that train and I never went to that place? Now, I've been there a million times now since being a vendor there, right? But even there, because that was the first venue that we were invited to um, have a space, we were the first black owned business ever in that space. Listen, if I don't do anything, like from this day forward, if I don't do another thing, I'm very proud of myself. I'm thankful to God because he answered my prayers. You know, they say, you know, you're living in a place that you dreamed of and you prayed for. I, I prayed for these moments and God answered my prayers. Now I got some bigger ones that I'm praying for now. But if I look at my demonstrated track record, those dreams are going to come true too. I just got to believe and I can't give up on me. Aww. Dawn, this is so great. 
I honestly personally needed to hear a lot of that. So thank you. You're welcome. Listen, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's true. It took a long time. And give yourself grace. Like I had to learn to give myself grace. It's okay to cry. It is. It's okay to cry. Yeah. But one day you got to wipe them tears, put an H on your back, and handle it. Handle it. I think that's the perfect way of, of ending this. <laughs> I thank you so much for your time. I hope that your listeners will follow us at The Nourish Spot on social media. Uh, that, that's on Instagram. We're also on LinkedIn. Um, me, myself, personally, I'm PRMaven17 on Instagram. I'm Dawn Kelly on LinkedIn. Follow me. I'm one of them things you call a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. I don't have time to put on a thousand different faces for people anymore. I think that's very valuable. And I think that's what people respond. I'm going to say this to you, darling. I double dare you. Matter of fact, I triple dare you to go after your dreams and be unapologetic about it because you deserve the life that you're willing to carve out and invest in for yourself. You deserve it. Give yourself some grace you. and go get it. Thank you for listening to Shit, I Just Quit My Job. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means the world to me. Please share with your friends. Thank you.